Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Too Legit. This is your girl, once again, Anna, aka Anna Mission. And I'm Kelsey Jandock. I go by KJ, aka Cage the Doer. Yes, this is a podcast for non-traditional law students with non-traditional backgrounds. Our goal of this platform is to give those who are thinking about law school or who are already in law school some tips and some tricks on how to navigate the legal profession, but in a strategic way. If you've listened to our podcast in the past, you know that I was a former registered nurse. And I am a former flight attendant and still currently a serial entrepreneur. Yes. So today, KJ, we have a really (laughs) special guest. I know I say this all the time, but this special guest is our very first judge on our podcast. I'm so excited. Me too, me too. I had to like put on my like my looks like my most professional blouse because I, I come correct. You see her when you, y'all watch the podcast or listen to the podcast, we see her in person. She's completely beautiful. So we had to oh. <laughs> I put on extensions for you. Right. <laughs> As did uh. I. <laughs> um, she was appointed to the Fulton County Magistrate Bench back in April of 2020. Please help me welcome Judge Elizabeth Emanuel, aka Judge Liz. Say hi, Judge Liz. Hi, hi. Hi. (laughs) Thank you all so much for having me. Thank Thank you so much for like responding and and just agreeing to be on our podcast. Um, Like I was telling KJ that we always wanted to have a judge on the podcast, but we weren't quite sure who to reach out to Mm -hmm. and just the logistics and and trying to get to know someone. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I really thank you so much for just, you know, devoting your time, even outside of the legal profession, just to come and sit down and talk to us. Oh, you're more than welcome. I I really appreciate the invitation and I'm I'm happy to, to give whatever insight I can to help whoever I can uh, on their uh, legal journey. So thank thank you both for uh, the invitation. Aww, thank you. Thank that you means so it does mean so much to us. I think we just didn't know how to approach a judge as well, mm-hmm. you know, because no one really teaches us like the formalities in that way. Oh, and yeah. Then, mm-hmm. Or then what we're looking for. We wanted everything and you literally have everything A through Z. So it's kind of oh. just like a, <laughs> I appreciate a, a really perfect situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Like KJ said, like law school, they teach us so much, but Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, they don't really talk about the judicial, like any, uh, you know, trajectory, trajectory. and Mm -hmm. outside of the NPRE or our ethics exam, like we don't really (laughs) learn anything about being a judge. And so this is a really exciting episode, especially now with what's what's going on in history. And uh, we're on the brink of confirming the first African-American female Supreme Court judge justice in Katanji Brown Jackson. So just a lot of things that we want to dig in and talk to and like pick your brain about. Our guest, a little background about you mm-hmm. and um, and what you, who you are. So can you tell us um, where you're from and what you did before law school? Okay. All right. So um, hey again, everyone. Um, I'm Judge Liz. I'm originally from a small town in Georgia called Milledgeville, Georgia. You can Google it. It exists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's about a population of 18,000 people, but it's a very wow. small town. Um, I grew up there uh, on a 300-acre farm. Oh, my I gosh. I am uh, one of uh, five siblings. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, or one of four, uh, I have four of the siblings, there's five of us in total. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that's originally where I'm from. And when I went to uh, uh, undergraduate, I went to the University of Georgia, which mm-hmm. is in Athens, Georgia, um, which was about maybe an hour and a half from uh, my hometown of Milledgeville. Hmm. So I've always had uh, aspirations to get out of Georgia. Uh, even though I'm a small town girl, I love big cities. And the biggest yeah. city that was closest to us was Atlanta. But uh-huh. I had been to Atlanta a number of times. So I was like, I want to get out of the state. Mm-hmm. So I ended up taking a scholarship to go to the University of Detroit uh, School of Law in Michigan. Right. And uh, it was the uh, absolute co- coldest place I had ever been in my life. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember walking to um, that. So our law school was like right da- downtown Detroit. And the GM building had this huge, like, um, it was like a huge billboard and in it was like a thermometer. And so one day it said zero degrees and the next day it said negative nine. And I was like, what have I got myself into? (laughs) I literally went to Michigan wearing a pea coat. So I'm like, I am just over. And that's one of the things I'll talk about is just never be afraid to take risks. You know, Mm, you just become so much better of a person Mm. by going through things and getting out of your comfort zone. So I had Mm -hmm. gone to Michigan Mm -hmm. um, and accepted a full ride there. I had done well in school and I graduated actually in 2009. And that was, um, as you uh, may know, the height of the um, economic recession. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. while I was in, um, I'll go back and say, while I was in law school, I did clerkships for like the Georgia Court of Appeals. The first clerkship I did was actually for like a, a civil like county court in Harris County, which is in Houston. Oh, uh, Texas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew there was something I liked about you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I had always done like just different sort of internships, clerkships with courts. So I always mm-hmm. liked to be sort of in the, the thick of things with litigation. Because okay. I always knew I wanted to be in the courtroom. Gotcha. So when I got out of uh, law school, I was going to take another sort of internship with the Georgia Supreme Court, but then the economic recession happened and mm-hmm. I didn't have anything. So mm-hmm. I was like, it, it was a, and I can imagine that a lot of people felt this way during the pandemic. It's like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Everything that I have sort of worked for. Mm-hmm. It's sort of crumbling before my eyes. Totally. And so that's yeah. why I always say that you always have to be ready to either take risks or be able to pivot. Because, and mm-hmm. even if it doesn't come as you envision, it does not mean that you have failed in some way. It just means that you have to be more creative. So with me, and that's going back towards what I was saying about when I uh, grew up in Milledgeville, property ownership was a big thing where I'm from, like having land. So I started to build out a niche for myself with real estate um refinances because the nature of the uh, economy at the time a lot of people were refinancing their home so what yeah (laughs) so it was a terrible (laughs) thing but it was a good thing for me yeah because I got some legal experience so I started doing mobile real estate closings and so I would do these go to people's houses it's way before the pandemic where you could be around people so I go to people's houses do you know execute all these real estate refinance closings uh-huh. And I honestly would tell you that doing these things, I felt like I would never be in the courtroom. I felt like I would never realize my dream of actually being a litigator. Oh. So the market sort of started opening up and I got a position with a, um, a law for, large law firm here, King and Spot. I think they may have an office in Seattle. I'm not oh. sure. Okay. But, um, okay. King and Spot. And so I started doing sort of e-discovery work. 
And as I started doing that more and more and more, it was sort of like I always felt like I was in the window looking into litigation, like I was on mm. the periphery, you know, <laughs> litigation, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm into discovery and it's like, open the door to litigation for me, please. You know, but it's yeah. like everything is in timing and time you will get mm. a season for everything. And if yeah, in everything so that true. you do, you have to learn a lesson from it and take mm-hmm. from it what you can use in another way in another time and maybe in another job. So right. hmm. every experience that I had, I would not go back and say, well, I wish I would have just jumped to doing litigation. No, I had to have those experiences right. to make me the litigator that I, I was and eventually the judge that I am now. Wow. So I started, um, you know, sort of, um, networking a bit with people like that were in my church and then people that my family members knew that were sort of working in the area that I wanted to work in, which I actually did not know I wanted to work in. Mm -hmm. So um, my uh, boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, said to Mm -hmm. me that you would be a good prosecutor. And at the time I was watching The Wire and the prosecutor had gotten killed. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I was like, so it's like. It's Not about I, that life. Like, yeah. <laughs> it kind of like uh, shapes us how we kind of uh, conceptualize things. So okay. I was in this mind of law, like, oh, no, I don't want to get killed trying to practice law. So let me just right. stay in this little like, like niche that I have built for myself doing um, this sort of discovery work. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes like what you're called to do will never allow you just to be comfortable. Oh my gosh. I, yes. I, I started, I was like, well, what do I have to lose? At the very least, and this is just a word for anybody, at the very least, people just tell you no and you go on. But if they say yes, then this is an actual opportunity to see how far you can go, you know what I mean, with your gifts and talents. And so I just applied for this opening that I saw at the district attorney's office in Fulton County, which Fulton County is the largest county in Georgia, which includes also the city of Atlanta. So this was going to be really like trial work. Like you were going to be in court every day. So or at least most of most of the time. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I applied and I remember the interview that I had, the sitting DA at the time was like, I need to know whether or not you can do this job. And I was saying to myself, I don't know if I can <laughs> you know, yeah. so I say that. Of course, I was like, yes, I can do it. Yeah. So I yeah. had a job. And I, when I tell you it was the toughest, but more, most one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um I, I would not be exaggerating when I said that because it just sort of like built, I always say it built my muscle because mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. in court, it's almost like you're just almost not thrown in there, but you really mm-hmm. have to think on your feet. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're just in there like arguing on like just you defense account counsel and the judge. It could be a whole gallery of people that also have other cases that is like just watching. And it's like, yeah. you literally or your skills almost, it's like your skills and your knowledge itself is on trial. It's right. not just your legal acumen, but it's also you have uh, built up in terms of your confidence. Right, so a right. lot of times the legal jobs that we take or any job that we could take, they may not necessarily grow you in ways that, that are specific to your profession, but right. they may teach you things that are, are good for learning, good for having just being a professional. Right. How to dress, totally. how to address address people, how to speak, how to have confidence, even speaking like just not in a courtroom, but if you're giving a presentation. I just learned a lot from that position. So from there, um, I worked as a uh, 
uh, a senior assistant district attorney. So I prosecuted both felony and misdemeanor cases, adult mm -hmm. and juvenile offenders. And I did that for almost six years. And I kind of oh. got just a little bit burnt out with it because you're dealing with such serious uh, subject matter. Right, right, and right. a lot of it can be very taxing because sure. you are kind of going into some of the most intimate parts of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, they may feel victimized again, having to come from court and you it's are not only an attorney for them, like, you know, not, not their paid attorney, but you're, you know, the attorney for the, the state, the victim, and, and you right. almost have to be a counselor too. So right. it's a lot that's on you but you learn so much. But I, I, you know, I felt it was time to go. So I ended up going back to the law firm that I was originally at. And um, I started uh, practicing as um, sort of corporate counsel for Equifax. And I would, it was federal litigation. So I was traveling throughout uh, United States because Equifax could be sued in all 50 states. Oh. So uh, I would go wherever <laughs> the case would go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So mostly I was assigned to like the Florida cases. So that worked out for me. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, every so often I have a case in Nevada and all this stuff. And it was just more so uh, violations of the Fair Credit uh, Reporting Act. So a lot of the civil litigation was more so settlements, uh, depositions and, and things uh -huh. of that matter. But I wanted to go back to the law firm to get a more well-rounded um, set of experiences Wow! Um, because yeah. I, I knew I wanted to be a judge. So mm -hmm. I was like, I respect the fact that if someone has experiences both in civil and criminal law and can be well-versed in both areas. So right. I, I wanted that for myself too. So that's why I ended up going back right. into civil litigation because I wanted to hone more those skills. Yeah. You know, actually make you a better judge. Yeah. Right. You know, and I felt that would make me more well-rounded judge. Yeah. So um, as far as how, um, and I may be going too much into like, am I? Am no, this, no, I, this is. This you is answered awesome. all my questions. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, I didn't want to answer Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, that one, that one. Okay. <laughs> no, that, that that's, that's awesome. I mean, um, like you, like you said, like uh, you've always wanted to be a judge. I, I don't know if anyone actually, falls into this role. And so I just, it's helpful seeing your mm -hmm. trajectory and seeing your journey and how, yeah. how intentional you were at every step of your career. Right. Um, can you and talk how, about some, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, and just how you, how you took from every experience and you realized mm -hmm. that all those steps were necessary and you even went back on purpose mm -hmm. to complete more steps because you know how necessary it is. I think it's um, essential for non-traditional law students to oh, right. hear that because mm -hmm. we often think to ourselves, man, should we have just started earlier? But right, no, right. it, it, we didn't, you know, it had mm -hmm. to have happened. And then because we're also in our last stretch of law school in general, I think a lot of people are feeling lots of uncertainty mm -hmm. and lots of like feelings of rejection for whatever is going to be coming up, uh, you know, with the bar or even post-grad. Right. So for people to hear that there are other ways to get to your main goal, we need to hear that. So yes. I love, I love this mm -hmm. path and the lessons mm -hmm. that are coming with it. So yes, yes keep, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> always other ways to get mm -hmm. to the goal. Like you did, it, it's never a straight line. I always say that life itself is never a straight line. It's always going to be zigs and zags, but you learn from every step that you take. You just have to keep taking the steps. So right. as far as, um, what I would say in regards to, um, 
the rejections that you get. When I applied for a positions, outside, I may have had 50 rejection letters. They just kept coming. Wow. Every time I saw something in that uh, envelope, that white envelope, and then sometimes <laughs> it would say, uh, dear XXX, it didn't even have my name on it. So wow. it was just a rejection, rejection. So but I would always say everybody goes through some form of rejection, but you cannot let that stop you from um, realizing your ultimate goal and purpose in life. It's just another, um, another step that you have to learn from. Right. So yeah, it's, it's right. definitely something that we all experience in one way or another. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to hear that right now because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have been feeling that way and mm-hmm. like just losing that gusto at the end. Everyone's yeah. kind of feeling senioritis, especially oh, since totally. <laughs> we've been remote, you know, like mm-hmm. we, we were remote since our one all year. So it's a kind of, it's a weird thing to have to yeah. work through mm-hmm. with that marathon mentality. You kind yeah. of touched on this a little bit. Um, but can you describe a little bit more how your background as an attorney and what roles that you were able to take from that in your role now as a judge? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so um, I was able to take one of the biggest things I always um, would watch when I was in court a lot was how uh, poised I felt like certain attorneys were or certain attorneys weren't and how Mm -hmm. they addressed the court and how the court would then address them. So I say that to say, I want to treat everybody with respect, no matter what, how you come in. Because a lot of times in our court, and we call it the people's court for a reason, we have a lot of pro se litigants. And a lot of people come in there, they, you know, they don't know the proper protocol for court. You know, a lot of times, and I, I totally agree with you both when you say like, you, you're not taught certain things in, in law school, sort of like practical things. How do you address the court? How mm-hmm. do you, you know, sort of things like what, what, is, what is the spiel that you give when you stand up? You know, I know you have moot court and all these things, but actually being in the thick of it. Yeah. How do you maneuver an actual courtroom hearing? You know what I mean? That is a, a skill that mm-hmm. you have to, you learn by just being in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the terminology, when I first, I was like, what are they saying? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I mm-hmm. had to learn it as I sort of uh, went. And so when I am now sitting on the bench, what I do is try to treat everybody with respect, no matter what type of you know situation you may have found yourself in. Um, and I try to give people tips in regards to like how, you know, they, they, uh, address the court because you may just not know you don't know what you don't know so if right. you you come in there and you you know don't know what to do exactly don't know what to say I'm sort of there not to you know be your um your counsel but to sort of guide you into how uh, how this is going to flow because at the end right. of the day it's, it's, it's my courtroom and so mm-hmm. I expect a certain level of decorum but I also understand that people don't do this every day. It's very new for a lot of people. And especially if you don't have an attorney, you don't have anybody there to sort of guide you. Exactly. So I try to pe- treat people with respect, uh, regardless of the circumstances, and also uh, be mindful of the fact that, you know, people are not just here always. I think that a lot of times when we are in it doing our adult things, our lawyer things, we forget about the fact that people, this is very new to people. Mm-hmm. This is very, and I used to, it was funny, and I learned this as a prosecutor, when I used to, you know, have the victim come into court, I'm like, well, why are these people just, just talking, you know what I mean? They didn't have any difference. And it's like, I'm in court all the time. These people are never in court. Right, so it's right. not fair to, to assume that someone knows how to act or even how to dress when they come to court, but right. you still can't like 
judge people on that basis. So I always right, wanted right. to be able to show people, especially now in the magistrate court, this is the people's court. So if mm -hmm. you should be able to have your case heard um, and also be able to present your facts, but still be respectful of the other side, I know it's a disagreement, but it doesn't have to be acrimonious. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, that's a big thing that I learned from being a prosecutor. It's just being able to treat everyone uh, with respect. Another thing that like kind that. of prepared me uh, when I was an attorney um, is just organization. Mm. Um, with the, even well, with uh, working for the law firm, I would be assigned to just uh, hundreds of cases because it was a high volume practice when I was with um, King and Spalding. And then yeah. even with the DA's office, Fulton County comprises of 13 cities. So that's criminal cases coming from uh, as far as Alpharetta, Georgia, even the, the um, colleges that were in um, the, the Fulton County, uh, County limits. Mm -hmm. You would get all cases, all types of cases, all the way from sexual assault cases down to a shoplifting, the felony shoplift, you know, so but you had to yeah. give like due, due attention to each one of the cases. Exactly. So with that, you had to have a system of organization. I remember when I first became a prosecutor, I was in my office to 2 a.m. signing or trying to come up with offer letters because I had no system of organization. And that was the last time that I ever stayed up there that late because <laughs> I saw that I had to be organized. Right. So as a judge, you're not only dealing with different cases, civil and criminal cases, you're dealing with having to sign orders. And people are expecting a turnaround for the order so they can make the appropriate action, especially I do evictions. Mm -hmm. So the order has to be in place before the landlord can file for the eviction. So if right. you're waiting, you know, uh, days to file an order, that's sort of, um, you know, hurting in terms of what the, the landlord can do that you've already ordered that they can do. So it goes into a system of organization as far as being able to timely do things so they don't impede the process. Right. Because as I stated with the magistrate court, we are the people's court. So we get uh, 80,000 filings a year. So mm -hmm. this is this is huge, you know, and everything must be like clockwork. So that right. requires a system of organization that you are able to not only decide on cases, Right. Uh, fairly, judiciously, and competently, but also in a timely manner. And also right. in a system that it helps uh, mm -hmm. the litigants to fully be able to resolve their cases. So those mm -hmm. are just uh, the, the biggest things that I have right. learned as an attorney that I and transferred to being a judge. Touched a little bit on um, staying up to 2 a.m. as a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about your work-life balance? I mean, I know you said you never stayed up that late again, but your work-life <laughs> yeah. balance as, a, as an attorney and then now as a judge, do you find it easier or pretty much the same? I find it easier because I was, I was a practicing attorney for about 12 years before I transitioned to be a judge. Okay. Um, so I started, uh, like I said before, as a, um, when I was a baby, baby lawyer, <laughs> I had no system of organization. I thought that I just being at work was like tantamount to being productive, but you can be at work all day and not be productive. So mm -hmm. you have to make the, um, the most out of your time. So right. that goes into intentionality. You have to be intentional about setting time out for yourself. So I, I'm a big uh, fitness fanatic. In the mornings, I, I get up around six and I go work out and I come back and start to, you know, my day, or if I have an early 
um, uh, I'm presiding over um, a calendar early. I'll make sure to go early in the gym, you know, and that includes going, going to bed on time. So right. a lot of different things that you have to do to make sure that you have that balance involves being intentional about how you schedule right. your day. And that goes back to organization. Mm-hmm. So if you spend mm-hmm. all your day doing one thing that you're not doing that well, it's yeah. not going to be productive for you because you don't have any real outlet. Like yeah. it cannot just be just you working. And that's, I spoke uh, recently to our um, office, administrative office of the course. And I told people just get up ever so often. If you feel yourself just sitting at mm-hmm. a desk or sitting in a chair or doing whatever, that's yeah. not good. That's like, you, you have to have some sort of movement and yeah. Breaking like up the monotony of the day, doing it something not, you know, I understand that you may have like a work day, but you're not at work all the time. Mm. And even if you are, you still need to build in certain things that make you happy, that make you fulfilled. For me, you know, it's being, you know, with my husband, working out, doing different things. And and I have to make time for that. So I have to be intentional about that. So I can't say how to do it, but I could just say you have to make time for the things that you enjoy. Because at the end of the day, when you look back over your career, you don't want to look at it and just say, oh, I worked a lot, you know, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. not productive. Like in terms of how you help people, uh, what mm-hmm. did you do to make a difference in where you were? And did people actually feel um, just a, a better sense of themselves by being um, uh, acquainted with you? is a lot to do with how much you enjoy what you're doing. If you don't enjoy Mm. what you're doing, it's really going to show. And if you don't have time for the things that you like to do, it's also going to show. So Mm -hmm. you just have to be intentional and it Mm -hmm. it can be done because I will say like to answer your question, my work-life balance now is much better because like I said, it, it had to be kind of trained. I had to train myself for years as to what, and that goes back to your mindset too. It is not a badge of honor to be working um, 19 hours out of 24 hours. You know what I mean? It's not because it's just what, what, what good is that? You know what I mean? Like you still, you may not even have um, accomplished what it is you want to accomplish, but I can say I work for 19 hours, you know, it's like, yeah. Like (laughs) what metal is that? You know, so you have to be intentional about making time out for yourself, whether it's like getting your hair done, nails, whatever, you know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) whatever you like to do, I would say be intentional about it. And you make, you know, you determine what your balance is based on uh, what, you know, your needs are. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's good to hear that too, for like, especially this field, because we tend to be um, workaholics. And right. that if you're, if you're mm-hmm. not, then you're being lazy. Right. Like, hey, yes. have fun on spring break, but I'm going to mm-hmm. email you guys, like uh, the professors have a great spring break. By the way, this is due, by the way, this is due, right. yeah, this due, and this is it. So exactly. like you're taught, you're taught that being a workaholic is a good thing, but, re- yeah. but really, you know, like you said, we, I guess with time too, we figure out what that balance looks like and how to be more intentional with that time. And actually it's funny you say that too, because one of the um, studies that I was looking at for my current externship, because I'm doing Mm -hmm. stuff with the Supreme Court and um, how to increase like accessibility. And one of the things that they're talking about is about Zoom hearings. And Mm -hmm. one of the main um, suggestions they have is that judges implement their their breaks because Mm -hmm. otherwise they're going to be suffering from too much Zoom fatigue. 
Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have Zoom, like I have to, um, because we're just so used to going, going, going. Mm-hmm. And in Zoom, sometimes I have to be reminded people need to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like, and people are like, you know, yeah. it's like you have to make time for the yeah. breaks. And yeah. um, I do want to say this really quickly. When I worked at the law firm, the way that our offices were structured is that all the doors were glass. So we always said that it was like we were in a fishbowl. So yeah. somebody, anybody could walk by and just look in your office. Likewise, they could look in your office, see you were sitting in there. So that was a, almost a deterrent to people to actually go out and take a walk or something because right. you didn't want to be seen as the person that's not working. Right. And so right. that right. is a, like you were saying, Cage, that that is a very much stigma in, mm-hmm. in the legal field that I'm not working, I'm lazy. You know right. what I mean? And it's right. like, you can be productive in a way that does not cause you to be at an office to 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So, and I had to learn that the hard way when I first started, as I said, as a prosecutor, I was just there doing random stuff. And it was like, (laughs) I mean, it's two in the morning, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so I thought of that as you, you know, uh, talk about that. It was a a very good point. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it it is good. And I'm I'm glad because like Anna and I are all about self-care. Mm-hmm. And on about the um, balance too. And I think that is one of the better things about us being um, older in law school yeah. mm-hmm. is that we know that we do need that balance. And we know what that balance looked like before coming to law school too. Correct. So like when people are, you know, studying for finals, like they think they just need to be at school all day, mm-hmm. every day when for me, that's less productive. Like right. I'd rather just be very, very efficient, figure out what it is mm-hmm. that is really good instead of going all the way back. You right. know, and studying the mm-hmm. material, like, no, what is the test going to really be on? Exactly. And, and then like, let's, let's be very much more strategic with right what to study so that it's not going to take me 12 hours today. Like I could wrap that up in hopefully eight instead. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. can yeah. you um, describe uh, like a typical, I know you said not every day is the same, but like a mm-hmm. typical work week for you. So for, for me, a work week includes Um, I may do a shift of signing arrest and search warrants. So what that includes is that I have a terminal where um, police officers from any agency within Fulton County will call the warrant line. If I'm on the judge on call, um, I have to determine whether or not they have probable cause to an arrest or probable cause to issue a search warrant. So we do this all over video. Uh, We have a system where they input all the information. I review it, I record it, and then I hear their testimony. So I may have a shift of that. Um, I may preside over um, the uh, what we call dispossessory hearings, which are landlord tenant uh, eviction hearings. Um, and then I may have a shift where I'm actually signing the eviction more, uh, the writs to actually evict a, a tenant. I may have a, um, a calendar for the criminal cases, which are bond hearings where, um, um, it's pretty much is over zoom and you, you know, it's, it's broadcast from the jail. People are brought in if they've been arrested and, um, I set bond for them. I hear argument on bond. Um, a lot of times you may have the victims there. They may want to um, say something on the record. And so you have hearings like that. Um, and then I have small claims trials, which are any sort of cr- trial um, in which uh, civil litigation in which the amount of controversy does not exceed $15,000. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then I may have um, 
uh, <laughs> I do the child support cases sometimes. I mean, in Georgia, a non-custodial parent can apply for a arrest warrant <laughs> if uh, a custodial parent can apply for arrest warrant if the non-custodial parent has not provided uh, for the child in 30 days. So it's pretty much mm -hmm. a probable cause here. And um, I have hearings such as those. And then um, sometimes I sign, uh, we'll have orders for cases that we have here called abandoned motor vehicles where, where a car has been towed and the towing company is stowing the car and they want to sell the car now. <laughs> so they have to actually like apply for a lien on the vehicle and I have to review those orders. So it's a mixture of uh, court hearings, criminal hearings, civil hearings, um, administrative duties as far as signing orders that just come into the court that are filed electronically. Um, and then um, I sometimes do weddings. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, honestly. Yeah, it's I a lot. <laughs> it's very diverse. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so many things to have to know and understand. Yeah. Like, oh mm -hmm. my God, it's very intimidating. <laughs> yeah, you have to, but it's a lot of it. You can, you know, it's, it's like with any area of, um, any area of law, you, you know, you have to keep abreast of what the changes are. So you always, you know, always, I feel like you just in life, I'm always a student. I'm always learning. So mm -hmm. um, if you don't know something, I've never been afraid to ask somebody. And, and thankfully for me, I have wonderful colleagues, a wonderful chief judge, where we can ask and we, you know, kind of uh, brainstorm about things and we, you know, try to be a better court through that. And we are right. a better court, court through that. Um, but it's always learning and, and you always, anything in life, I feel like you, uh, when you have stopped learning, that's when you truly are food because it's, you don't know, <laughs> you're never going to know any, everything. So right, you always right. have to be humble enough to know that yes. I may not know something on this. So let me go and um, get educated on it right. and um, then apply that to the circumstances before me. So I'm mm -hmm. always, like I said, I'm always a student, always. Yeah. A student. Or even a better way, just an improvement, just a better way to yes, do something. Just to improve that life. Like Zoom, that's so mm -hmm. That's a, um, that's a question I wanted to ask you. I know it's not on our list of questions, but something I <laughs> want to ask you is how did you adapt to Zoom and how do you feel like you fared or just in mm -hmm. general? And so I, um, I enjoyed the fact that we could um, use Zoom because it was a lot of things that was like, okay, what's going to happen? Because as you all know, in a courtroom, it's so many people in there, especially in a pandemic, that it's no way you can social distance and still have the same caseload that we were having pre-pandemic. So we have to be able to move these cases. Right. So Zoom was just such a great way to be able to move cases and still have the opportunity to be in court. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a way that we could kind of see or reevaluate what resources could be used to be still be productive. Mm -hmm. So the thing is about Zoom, um, I like it in the sense that you can still have court, um, but I do miss the interactions that we may have in the courtroom, you know, so yeah. that's, yeah. that's a, um, I think a downside of it, but sort of getting used to Zoom, um, I was already like a person that liked to use technology when we were, um, when the firm, law firm I was in, we would typically, well, not typically, but sometimes we would do depositions virtually. Oh. So it was always the sort of thing that if you were somewhere, because like I said, it was so many different cases and we were um, handling cases throughout the United States that sometimes to save money, 
we it was like let's just do a virtual hearing and if the parties consent to it then it's it's on you know like <laughs> so i kind of had that like pre-pandemic sort of experience with doing virtual hearings so i could mm -hmm. easily translate that to zoom and i feel like zoom is really user friendly so mm -hmm. and then you know you get to put these backgrounds in there so people won't see what you have to like so like <laughs> so uh, so it worked out so yeah i i'm adjusted to it i i i i feel like it's it's a um it's a good resource to have during these during these times. I, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see yourself um, going after this? Like, is there another goal that you have beyond Judge Liz? Like, I feel like I feel like you should have some show or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm ready to see it on Netflix is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, I would love a TV show. <laughs> From the workout bench to the corporate bench. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just enjoying this so much that uh, I don't know yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what that's my so next fun. step would be in regards to uh, here is almost like I, I sort of could not think of something beyond being a judge, you know, right. this is your dream. Yeah, yeah. This is my dream to just right. help people. And I didn't say that before, but this really, I had this general desire just to help people. And I was like, I'm going to help them within the gifts and abilities I've been blessed with. And I feel like that was mm -hmm. being an attorney. And ultimately, I want to be a judge. So mm -hmm. as far as like, as if it's another role for me that also helps people, I'm open to it. But as far as now, aside from the TV show that Cage is going to produce, <laughs> <laughs> and Donna is going to help as well. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. Perfect, man. <laughs> All right. And then our last question. I mean, you kind of already, you know, touched on this throughout this whole episode, but what advice would you give to someone who's like, you know, a young girl or someone in our shoes, possibly who's thinking mm -hmm. of you know, being in a judge. I mean, we, we mm -hmm. saw yeah, the nomination of mm -hmm. Judge Katanji Brown and like just opening the floodgates of possibilities. So yeah. what, what advice would you give someone, you know, who's looking at that and, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about entering into this field? I would say that it is um, the only one that can stop you is you. The possible, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate the fact that there are so many opportunities to, for us as women um, mm -hmm. that it's being very much, um, present for us to see, because I always say you cannot be what you cannot see. The mm. fact that we have representation in all these different areas, um, and not just legally, but just different industries, shows that you are not, um, you are not just stifled by what you feel like you can do. It, the possibilities are endless. Mm. So never feel like you, oh, I could never be that. Because sometimes I used to feel like that. I would say, oh, that's somebody else's, that's somebody else's blessing. That's, that's not their ministry. That's not my yeah. ministry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you are the only one that can limit what your possible capabilities are. Because you are, uh, like I said, gifted with a certain set of abilities and talents. And as far as what you can do, what you can do is based on what you believe you can do. So right. if you put it in your mind that you can't do it, you won't do it. But if right. you put it in your mind that you can do it, you will do it. So right. Right. if you are thinking about things that you want to do, I would always say, try to get towards what you all are doing now. Um, just fellowship with people who are in the same industry as you. Right. Like I said, reach out to them. It, the worst they could say is no, but if yes. they say yes, 
then you have opened up a door to new possibilities. So never be afraid to take a leap of faith is what I always say. So take a leap of faith. Talk to people who's in the same industry as you. I understand. Try to try to understand what what path did that take. You may not take the same path, but you can get an idea as to what it may take to get to where you want to be. So as far as um, uh, anybody who wanted wants to be a judge, I would say, as I always tell everybody, research what it takes on paper to be a judge, and then mm-hmm. research people who are doing the thing that you want to do and reach out to them. That's all I used to do. I just used to mm-hmm. reach out to people and I'd be like, okay, who are you? Okay. Next. If you didn't say anything, then there's <laughs> another person. And then eventually you will find that person yeah. that will be able to help you and give you some advice that can lead you in a path that you want to go. But I would say, don't be afraid to reach out to people. Don't be afraid to take leaps of faith and always remember that whatever you do, only you telling yourself that you can't do it will stop you from doing it. But it, it right. and it's cliche, but you can do anything that you set your mind, mind to. It's cliche, mm-hmm. but we need to be reminded mm-hmm. that all yeah. the time, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, thank you mm-hmm. so much, Judge Lynn. We had a, no such a wonderful time talking. Yes, this was yes. A lot of fun. <laughs> yes. But before we end our podcast, we like to ask two fun last questions uh, to all our guests. And today's are no today's no different. Um, so the first question is, um, what is your go-to favorite comfort food? Okay, so I have some, I'm not going to say like an addiction, but I, I love ginger ales. Like I just drink them and I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just have, and it's so crazy because they're like in these small little cans and I think yeah. that I'm doing good by drinking one, but I end up drinking four. So <laughs> like, a, like a, a mega gulp. <laughs> and then our last question is, um, you know, we learned about, you know, COVID and being efficient with Zoom, but is there something else other that COVID has taught you about yourself that you uh, taken away from that whole era? Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I believe COVID has taught me um, that a traditional ways of thinking of things does not have to be the only way of thinking of things. Because mm-hmm. I would have never imagined that I would be, you know, talking to so many people and so many, getting to meet so many amazing people through this platform. You know, right. it was very much, I had a very much like, Okay, go to work, wear a suit, do this, do this, do this. And COVID just disrupted all of that. And for the good, because it was just a different way of thinking about things that you could just be non-traditional in, you know, your thought, what you do when you go, you know, there's all these different things were just different ways of people doing things that were outside of the norm of even working. So mm-hmm. I just really feel like in COVID, from what I did, as tragic as it was, one of the things or uh, continues to be, one of the things that I did learn is that to kind of not be stuck in a certain way of thinking, be ready to think outside the box, um, right. not just in uh, what I do in my own personal life, but what I do in my professional life as well. Yeah, it's important for survival. Yes, yeah. All right. Once again, thank you, Judge Liz, for taking the time to speak to us. I'm going to go get some ginger ale. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but um, before that, before we let you go, um, uh, KJ, where can people find Judge Liz and where can they find our podcast? Yeah, so Judge Liz is at Judge 
Liz, L-I-Z underscore. That's her Instagram handle. Ours is at two legit podcasts. That's the number two legit podcast. And then you can tune in to listen to this and every other episode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple iTunes. All right. Thank you, two legit crew. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 <laughs>